Well, good morning again, and welcome to First Baptist, and we are so glad that you've chosen to be a part of our service to worship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And no, I'm not Jeff Bedwell. <clears throat> Jeff and uh, Susan are away on a much-needed and deserved vacation. In fact, Susan has finished all her treatments, and so they went off to celebrate for that. And just keep her in your prayers um, that she continues to get good reports, and um, just pray they'll have a great time uh, to enjoy each other. Well, this morning, I am excited about uh, breaking God's, open God's Word for you. And first thing I want to ask you before we get started is, do you really, really love Jesus Christ? Now, you're all church folks, and you're sitting here, and you're going, well, of course, well, of course I do. Now, I want to know, do you really love Him? Do you love Him more than your wife or your husband? Do you love Him more than your children? Do you love him more than your 401k account and your job? Do you love him more than Clemson football? Do you love Jesus Christ is what I'm asking you. And we're going to see a passage today where a woman has just an incredible love for Jesus Christ. And it's my longing as a follower of Christ that, that every day I can grow more and more in love with Christ. And it's my longing as a pastor that we as a church will become a church known because of its great love for Jesus Christ and its great love for other people. I think um, A.W. Tozer said it best. He said, and he said it years ago, perhaps the most serious charge that can be brought against modern Christians is that we are not sufficiently in love with Christ. Why? Because we put our eyes off of Christ and on the things of this world. And our devotion is divided. I think he is dead on the money when he says I, that we are not sufficiently in love with Jesus Christ. Well, you're going to see a passage this morning of a woman who has experienced God's amazing love in her life. And she cannot help but express her gratitude for what Christ has done for her. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. The Gospel of Luke chapter 7. We're going to start with verse, uh, verses 36 uh, and go through 50. And uh, we'll have them on the screen. Also, you have a note-taking um, guide that you can follow along with us. But uh, before we get started, let me just kind of give you a little background. We find in this story... Uh, she's described as a sinful woman, a woman who has lived this very public sinful life uh, leading to a life of shame and remorse. She has a terrible reputation, known through all out through the city uh, as a sinner, don't really know what she did, but one can only imagine. But she heard the words of Jesus earlier than this passage. In fact, the scholars who, who harmonize the Gospels and, and kind of get everything together and put it in chronological order, many of those scholars believe that the word she heard from Jesus that changed her was from Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And I'll read those for you. Jesus speaking. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. And I think when she heard that phrase, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. I think it had a radical, I know it had a radical impact on her life. And she realized what Jesus Christ had done for her by giving her life to Christ. And God's love changed this sinful woman, and she was never, ever the same again. And I pray that would be the same about each one of you, that Jesus Christ has saved you and that you have never been the same again. Because God's love changes everything. I know I have experienced it. And we're going to read about one who has experienced it in chapter 7. Well, the story begins, unusually, with a dinner invitation. A very insincere invitation from a critical host. Looking at verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's home and reclined at the table. Well, now that seems to be just fine. There's nothing wrong with that. He invited Jesus to come and have dinner with him. Well, if you jump up two verses to verse 34, you see who the Pharisees were and their uh, attitude they had about Jesus. And in fact, it says in, in 7.34, the Pharisees referred to Jesus as a glutton, as a drunkard, as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And now he has invited Jesus to his home. Now, why would a Pharisee do something like that? He also proves his insincerity when he when Jesus comes in, he just goes straight to the table to recline. There's no mention of him being welcomed with a kiss and, and being anointing his head with olive oil and, and not providing water for his feet to be washed. None of that is mentioned. And so as you read this passage more and more, you begin to see this is a very, very insincere invitation. And why is that? Because the lack of hospitality confirms that Simon the Pharisee was not truly wanting to learn more about Jesus. He wanted a reason not to follow Jesus. And as I think about that statement right there, I think that's where a lot of people are in America today. They're looking for reasons not to follow Jesus. They're looking for reasons not to come to church. They're looking for reasons not to be associated with Christians. This man was a critical, was very critical. He wanted to study Jesus, critique Jesus. But what I love about this is that Jesus still went. Of course, he's God. He, he's God in flesh. He knows what the man is thinking. But he is invited by a Pharisee, and Jesus still goes. See, he is willing to associate with people of all kinds. One thing you say about Jesus, he is not prejudiced. He's gracious. To anyone who comes to him. He's gracious to those who also do not believe in him. And gracious to those who choose to reject him. Jesus loves and cares for sinners. No matter who, who, you, who they are and no matter what they have done. And I meet people sometimes and they say, you know, I can't, I can't give my life to Christ. You don't know the things that I have done in my life. Well, my friend, you don't know the things I've done in my life. And if he can save me, he can save you. There's no one beyond the reach of God's grace. And he loves and he cares for sinners. 
And I pray for this team going to St. George and Walterboro, that God will use them in a mighty way as they bring the good news because God's still in the saving business. He loves and he cares for sinners, no matter who they are and no matter what they have done. So we see this insincere invitation from this critical host. And as we read more in the passage, you'll see just how critical his attitude is. But we come to what I call a very intimate interruption from a repentant woman. And as we continue on in this passage, look at verses uh, 37 uh, through 39. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he, being Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's home, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Well, this woman in this passage is not identified. No, she's not Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene's not introduced until the next chapter, chapter 8. So we don't know who this woman is, but it is clear that she knows who Jesus is. And she has made her way into this dining hall to come to the feet of Jesus. And it is very apparent that her life has been changed. To take, just think about the courage it took for her to walk into this room where they are eating, where Jesus is at, surrounded by all the Pharisees, all the teachers of the law, all the religious leaders, all the churchgoers. As one pastor said, there's enough self-righteousness in that room to sink 10 battleships. And yet this woman walks in and goes straight to Jesus. I love her courage. And of course, as she walks in, you can only imagine some of the comments being made. Because they know who this woman is. She's known all over the city. And all these self-righteous religious leaders are whispering all these hurtful, harmful words being said about her. Simon the Pharisee is probably already passing judgment on this woman because he calls her a sinner. And I can't believe Jesus let him, her touch him. But what I want you to see is in all of this, what was on Jesus' mind was not her guilt, but her worth. See, Jesus didn't see that woman as a sinner. He saw that woman as a priceless child who his love has changed and redeemed. He didn't see her guilt. He saw her worth. And some of you live in that life of shame and guilt. Don't. Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, Jesus Christ has covered all of your imperfections with the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are as righteous in the eyes of God as you'll ever be. The guilt was not on Jesus' mind of her. It was her worth and her value. I also want you to see that this sinful woman's worship was both expressive and expensive. 
And I could spend a lot of time on here on this, but, but I won't because of just, we don't have the time. But uh, far from being casual and cold to Jesus as Simon was, this simple woman was extremely passionate in her worship and her love of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see just how expressive it was. She cries enough tears of joy to completely wet the feet of Jesus. Now just think about that for one second. This isn't a, this is sobbing cry of joy because of what Christ had done for her, for her. Enough water to cover the feet of Jesus. When's the last time you cried like that for joy? When's the last time you cried like that over someone who broke your heart? We've become very stoic in our society today. This woman, as one pastor said, she's got all this, all this water in her, in her heart. It's just coming out. And it's falling all over Jesus' feet. But not only that, notice she takes down her hair. Now, a woman would never, ever do that in public. She takes down her hair, and she begins to dry the feet of Jesus. And after she dries the feet of Jesus, she begins to kiss his feet. Now, I don't know about you, but and there's not many people that have pretty feet. They just don't. But this woman loved Jesus so much. And she is just pouring out her love for him. Right in front of all of these religious leaders these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, this woman is pouring out her love. I also want you to see that it was expensive, her worship was. She broke open the alabaster jar of ointment. Most scholars would say that's probably a year, it's valued at a year's wage. She had to break it open. It was not a top. Broke it open and poured it out on the feet of Jesus. She loved him so much. And when you put all this together, you certainly wouldn't have to ask, did she love Jesus? You plainly can see in her love, her love and her actions toward Jesus. The question this morning is, what about you? Can people plainly, clearly and plainly see your love for Jesus Christ every day in the way you go about your life? And your words and your actions. Can they see the love of Jesus Christ just oozing out of you? Or do you have to tell them you're a Christian because they can't really tell? We need the people who love Jesus Christ and it's evident in their lives. I love, I love, and you, you, you know them too. You come up to someone and you just know. You ain't got to ask if they're a Christian. It's just all over their face, all over them. They're in love with Jesus Christ because Christ has changed them and they've never got over it. He made a difference in their life. This woman had experienced that. And I'm sure this self-righteous Pharisee was disgusted seeing this sinful woman's behavior and he concluded that Jesus couldn't possibly be a prophet. He's letting this sinful woman touch her and kiss her. There's just no way he could be a prophet. See, Simon doesn't understand that Jesus is willing then and today to reach out in love to touch the untouchables. Those sinners who seek him and come to him in forgiveness so we see this incredible interruption, but a very intimate interruption of this woman as she pours out her love 
on Christ. Well, the passage continues, and we move to our third point, which is an interesting illustration of our sin debt. Now, Jesus has not said a word. He's just been sitting there. And finally, he speaks up. And as Jesus answered, answering and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, I don't know about you, but if Jesus Christ looked at me and said, Shannon, I've got something to say to you, I'd be on edge. But Simon in his self-righteousness answered, say it, teacher. And then Christ begins in verse 41. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them loved him more? Simon answered. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Well, let's uh, kind of go back through this. And this illustration is actually a parable. And it's probably Jesus' most effective way of teaching. And this is probably the first recorded parable in the Gospel of Luke. And what's interesting about that is that the Gospel of Luke contains more parables than all the other Gospels. So it's a very effective way that Jesus uh, used, the teaching method that he used uh, to teach a, a heavenly truth. And you got to understand denarii, that's something we don't really talk about, but a denarii was pretty much a day's wage. So let's break this down in terms we can understand. This one person owed almost two years, 21 months of, of a salary as the debt they had, almost two years. And here's another person that had two months, two months of a salary debt that, that, that they owed, and neither one of them could repay it. Doesn't matter how much, they just could not repay it. They didn't have the funds to do that. The debt was simply too high, and they could not pay for it. But because of the grace of the moneylender, he cancels the debt of both debtors. And as you begin to look at this passage, I think it's clear that the parable does not deal with the amount of sin in a person's life but the awareness of the sin in their life. See, didn't, re, didn't matter what the value was. Neither one of them could not repay the debt. It was simply too high. My friends, we are like those two debtors in this parable. We have a sin debt that we cannot repay. Sin has separated us from God, and we can't do anything about that. You can't go to church enough to take care of that sin debt. You can't be nice enough to take care of that sin debt. You can do nothing about the debt that you have to Jesus Christ. Nothing except one thing. It is only by accepting Jesus Christ as the one who paid that sacrifice, who gave his life for you to redeem us and canceled that sin debt. When we place our faith and trust in him and his death and resurrection, God looks at our sin and it is no more. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to shout. Because I know what I've done in my life. And you know what you've done in your life. And Jesus Christ says, I will cancel that sin debt that you have. All those things that you know about you, even those things deep inside you maybe no one else knows about, Jesus says, I'll clean it all off the slate. You are 
clean in the eyes. You are righteous in my eyes. This woman had an incredible love for Jesus. But as Christ is given this illustration, I, I like to fish. I, I can see he's just kind of reeling Simon in real slowly, trying to help him, real, help him see who he really is. And this woman pouring out her love for Jesus. Why? Because she loved so much because her so many sins have been forgiven. See, some of y'all have forgotten what your life was like before Christ. The things that you have done. All those things, if you've given your life to Christ, have been removed. But sometimes you need to go back and think about just what Christ has done for you. This woman had a life full of shame and remorse and sin and carnal living. But Jesus Christ had changed all that and she could not stop pouring out her love for him. And I so desire that we as a church would be that church with people who just cannot stop pouring out their love for Christ and their love for others. We also continue on. We see this contrast that Christ works uh, to, to really bring forth an important insight, an important insight on biblical forgiveness as we continue with the passage, looking at verse 44 through 47. Then turning to the woman, now this is Jesus. He's got Simon and he's got the woman and everybody is hearing what he's saying. Then turning to the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You, You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And this parable, as I said, is a contrast, gives us two responses uh, to Jesus based on two different attitudes about sin and grace. This woman's emotional response was so great Because she understood the gravity of her sin and she understood the many, many multitudes of sins she had committed in her life. And because that she had been forgiven, she understands her sinful condition. And Jesus Christ is the one who can take care of that and she cannot stop pouring out her love for him. She understands her condition. Simon did not. And my friend, you will never understand how great a Savior is. Jesus is until you see how great a sinner you are. I don't care who you are, what you've done. Jesus offers his love through grace for you. God's love changed everything about this woman. That's why she's overflowing with tears. That's why she's pouring out a year's worth of perfume on Jesus' feet. See, she has found and she has experienced the amazing love of Jesus Christ and it has changed her. 
See, it's only when you see your goodness is worthless is that you'll begin to understand and see God's grace as priceless. It's all by God's grace. The money lender extended grace. The sin debt was erased. God, through Jesus Christ, death on the cross extends grace. And for those who come to him, your sins are forgiven. See, we need to see ourselves as those sinful rebels that we are and begin to see God's grace as this priceless gift gift that is undeserved. Not one of you in here, including myself, deserves the grace of God. What you deserve, according to Romans, is death and hell. That's what you deserve. But God extends this grace. And he's showing his love that he has for people. And to make it abundantly clear to Simon the Pharisee and everyone else who hears the conversation, Jesus addresses the woman and the Simon with a final word. And what we see in this woman is an incredible identity from a forgiving Savior. Well, let's finish up this passage beginning in verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith, see that, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Luke chapter 7 is known for its three great miracles. And I would encourage you to go back and read uh, that chapter today if you have time. But the first miracle that we see is a centurion servant who is on deathbed, moments from death, and Christ heals him. Another great miracle that we see in Luke 7 is the widow's son, the widow's son at Nain, who is dead. Christ brings him back to life. But the greatest miracle is the salvation of a sinful woman. You see, the miracle of salvation is the greatest miracle of all. For it meets the greatest need, brings the greatest results, and costs the greatest price. And when you stop and just reflect on that for a second, you had a, you had a need. Every one of us, a sin was our problem. Separated us from God. We had offended a holy and righteous God and we deserved death and hell. But God met that need by sending his son, cost a great price. For he died on the cross and shed his precious blood for, for you and for me so that those who come to Christ can be forgiven and experience an abundant life and great results, an eternal life. The miracle of salvation is the greatest miracle in the scripture. But please understand, please understand that her actions did not produce the forgiveness and salvation she received. The scripture is clear. It says by her faith. The scripture says it's by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8, that we are saved. And we are saved to do good works, to produce good works. And that's exactly what this woman was doing out of her love and devotion. These were just natural products of her love flowing out because she had been forgiven. You know, Luke doesn't tell us how Simon the Pharisee responded to this teaching. In fact, he's not mentioned ever again in Scripture. 
So we don't know anything about him. But we do know this sinful woman who came to Jesus was forgiven, transformed, and commissioned. Christ had forgiven her sins. He had changed her life. And please, don't forget, and don't see, make sure you don't see, I mean, uh, uh, not look at the fact that he commissioned her to go. That's how the passage ends. ends. Go, go, go in peace. See, when Jesus saves a sinner, their forgiveness is complete, and peace becomes their companion. Now, there's a lot of principles that we could talk about with this passage, and, and I don't have time to go through but a few. But I want you to see just a few things that I've got highlighted. I want you to see the story, the story of this sinful woman and the self-righteous Pharisee is a perfect example of Jesus' infinite compassion for all lost people. So Jesus can take a sinner, any sinner, and make him a child of God or her a child of God. Don't ever forget no one is beyond the reach of Jesus' love and compassion. His, his compassion for people is infinite. He wants to see all people come to him in a saving knowledge. I also want you to see that uh, this woman does not care about the social rules and political correctness. She does not care about saving face. She does not care about impressing others. All she cares about is expressing her love and her gratitude to Jesus. Think about that for a second. This woman was courageous. Why? Because she had to get to Jesus to express her love for him. And I also want you to see Simon only saw a sinner when he saw the woman, but Jesus saw a sinner who was ready for salvation. And seeing people through Jesus' loving eyes can make all the difference. Well, as we get ready for our Lord's Supper, let me give you a um, couple things to be thinking about, if I can get this to work out. Yeah, making it personal. As we begin to examine our lives in, in preparations for this Lord's Supper, I want you to ask yourself, what is our devotion and service to Jesus like? Do you treat him like Simon did? Do we invite him into our lives, but really don't give him the honor he deserves? And I think for many that would be the case. When you really look at your life, like I said, you know, you know Jesus, and Jesus is a part of your life, but he's not Lord of your life, and there is a difference in that. And do you give him the honor he so deserves in your life? If not, confess that to the Lord. He who is forgiven most will also love the most, and if you're having problems with your spiritual love life, I'd encourage you to go back to the cross and think about how much Jesus has forgiven you. And then finally, as you examine your own heart, what do you discover? Are you more like the self-righteous Pharisee, Simon, who does not see the sinfulness of his heart? Or are you like the sinful woman who is fully aware of her sin and unworthiness and throws herself at the feet of Jesus. God's love changed this woman.
God's love can change you. If you've never experienced Christ as your Lord and Savior, after our service, there's going to be an area back there called our next steps. I'll be back there. would love to have a conversation with you. Maybe you, uh, maybe the well has just run dry in your life and you don't have the love anymore for people, the love for your neighbors, the love for the people you work with. Maybe you just need somebody to come back and pray with you. Again, we'll be back in the back after the service. Please come back there. Or if you're visiting and would like to know more about our church, we'd love to have a conversation with you. But remember, God's love changes everything. And it changed the life of this woman. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all you have done for us. Lord, we can never say thanks enough that you have saved us. Lord, we were on a path to hell and you reached out in your grace and love and saved us. And Lord, we just thank you. We give you praise and glory. And Father, I pray we would be like this woman in this passage. That people would see the love of Jesus Christ in everything and everywhere that we go. Father, I pray it would just ooze out all over us onto others. Help, us to, help people to see how much we love Christ and how much we love them. Father, we just pray. We just pray that we'll never have that self-righteous attitude of the Pharisee, but have that repentant attitude of a woman who cannot stop showing her love for Jesus Christ. His name we pray. Amen.